Well, good morning, friends. Welcome to Wake Up in the Word. Thanks for joining me this morning. Grab a good cup of coffee and let's start John chapter 14 today. John 14. Big shout out to Christine Edenfield. Are you noticing, Christine? I have on a new shirt today. Yes, this is the $6 flannel shirt I picked up at Walmart yesterday. Clearance in Chester, South Carolina. This was just six bucks. And of course, I love flannel shirts in the winter. Just gave away a couple of my old ones to grandkids. Hey guys, I hope know you're enjoying those in Tennessee, but look here, granddaddy's got a new one. <laughs> Isn't that great? Well, anyhow, back to the scripture, John chapter 14. By the way, do remember something as we move into these verses. Chapter divisions are not inspired in the Word of God. They are placed in there by translators at a later time. This is not necessarily a break where there's an entirely different subject going on. It's Jesus' response to what he has just told Peter. Remember, we ended up chapter 13 where Peter's been informed of the fact that you know, his, his zeal for the Lord is one thing, but guess what? By the time the rooster crows in the morning, three times you will deny that you even know who I am. This prediction surely startled the disciples, and they needed further inquiry and explanation about some things. Matter of fact, many of the disciples now begin to question Jesus openly about some things, and he answers those questions in these next passages of scripture. So as we begin chapter 14, he starts with these beautiful words, words that echo down to us today. Don't let your heart be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. Boy, this is something important. A statement that sometimes we jump over because we're trying to get to one of those other places here in chapter 14. Hang on, let's stick on verse number one for a minute and let's get a little bit of background on this. Now, M.O. Owens says that this is moving from Jesus talking about how he's demonstrating his love for the disciples in chapter 13 to now a place where he wants to give them peace. And here's one of the ways he's going to do it. Focus back on the essential nature of our belief in God and how that belief should also transmit itself to Jesus Christ because he is part of the Godhead. He is the everlasting Son of God. Believe in God, believe also in me. Now, the way Owens puts this to kind of introduce the chapter is he says, the second great gift Jesus gave his disciples is peace. Very few people in the world are so abnormal as to love continual conflict and antagonism. If one were to ask a large number of people what is the greatest need in our world today, it's likely a number of them would answer peace. Well, real peace is not just a cessation of hostile activity, and it's more than silence and passivity. Real peace is an atmosphere and an attitude. Jesus did not guarantee that there would be no conflict, but he did assure his disciples that one of his great gifts is going to be peace within. He lays that out in this whole chapter. Back to Owens, he says, as the disciples thought about the possibility that Jesus would leave them, they were puzzled by his words and they were disturbed. Four of them would ask questions. The disciples' questions concerned the problems that faced them as they thought of Jesus' departure. And Peter's question, where are you going, had excited their interest. And Jesus' prediction that Peter would deny him had even depressed their spirits. If Peter, their spokesman, was doomed to failure, then what would happen to the rest of them? So John 14 is actually giving us the sequel to Jesus' correction 
of Peter. And with that in mind, we see him start by saying, don't let your hearts be troubled. If you believe in God, you should also believe in me, Jesus says. And the very next statement is one that shouldn't at all be puzzling and wasn't to the guys in those days. Verse 2 says, In my Father's house are many rooms. If not, I would have told you. I am going away to prepare a place for you. They knew, being a part of Jewish culture, exactly what that meant. Now, by the way, for those of you who are really hung up on the King James language, I'm sorry. There is no way a word for mansions, as the King James writers decided to insert that word in 1611, there's no way that word fits into this passage. That's why most all contemporary versions will translate that. In my father's house are many rooms or many dwelling places. The picture was quite obvious for the disciples of Jesus Christ. They knew just what he was talking about. Jesus is already setting himself up as the bridegroom. He's going to be going away to prepare a place for the bride, the church. Now listen to Dr. Tony Evans as he comments on this particular passage. He said, in Jewish wedding custom, the father would add rooms onto his house for his newly married son. Jesus wasn't abandoning them, but he was heading out. Where was he going? We know it was heaven. He's heading out to get their eternal home ready. When your time comes, you have no fear. Heaven has been prepared for you too. So Jesus, in laying out this principle, knows these words will be echoed all the way down to us today. I'm leaving, guys, but... Don't be afraid. I'm doing what every engaged bridegroom does. When it's getting time for the wedding, there is a separation period before the actual marriage takes place. And during that time, the bride is supposed to be preparing herself to be a good wife and be a part of the household and raise the future family. But the husband is supposed to go and make sure there's a place prepared for his bride and for their future family to grow. In these days, we are so affluent sometimes in the West, we think that means going out and at least getting your own apartment, your own place, or perhaps going out and buying your first house. When Sue and I got married, and I was at the ripe young age of 20, I'd already saved enough money, and through the help of my parents, was able to go buy a nice little three-bedroom, bath-and-a-half brick house in Covington, Georgia, where we began our life together. These folks in Jesus' day would have had no idea of that kind of thing taking place. A new bride would be brought home to live in the newly constructed room that had been added to the Father's house. So Jesus, in using this analogy, this picture, was letting the disciples know that, hey, look, I'm like the good bridegroom. I'm coming back for my bride and a place is being prepared for you. In the same way that you know that's what a good Jewish family is going to do to take care of the new bride coming into their household. That's what I'm going to do for you. Of course, there's no indication that there are everybody gets their own mansion. My goodness, is that what you really are looking forward to in eternity? Listen, I can't tell you what the place is going to be like, nor can I let you know how big it's going to be, can't measure it, because we've not been given that in Scripture, but I tell you what, it's going to be nice. No, it's not going to be like a little shack tucked off beside the, the cabin in the woods, but I tell you what, 
Jesus is busy preparing it with the best materials that heaven has to offer. And he's preparing a place for every single person that believes in him. That's why the very first verse of this chapter is so important. You say you believe in God. Be careful that you're not just doing what James said and making that some kind of intellectual acknowledgement. No, belief is a whole lot more than just in your mind saying, yes, I know there's a God that exists. Okay, I'm cool. I can forget about it now, right? No, no. Believing in God means the person that you follow, the person in whom you put your trust, the person whose laws you obey, that's your God. Believe in God, Jesus says, believe also in me. And when you believe in him, that means he's now preparing a place for you. Well, God bless you. Thanks for spending a little time with me. Tomorrow, we're going to get into that next verse and hang on. We're going to watch Jesus Christ predict the rapture. Now, if you don't know what the rapture means, we're talking about Jesus coming back for us, coming back for his church. He's going to talk about it tomorrow, and so we'll entitle tomorrow's message, Jesus Predicts the Rapture. Don't you miss it. We'll be talking about that tomorrow as we wake up in the Word. God bless you. We'll see you then.